Welcome to Coffee with the College, a podcast brought to you by the American College of Healthcare Executives, Wisconsin chapter. Our goal is for listeners to find this podcast as relaxing as coffee with friends and just as comfortable as our guests and observers banter about questions that are on all of our minds. I'm your host, Janet Schultz. I'm Chief Information Officer at a human services company called MyPath. Our observers today are Brian Mahalski, Health System Specialist at Zablocki's BA Medical Center in Milwaukee, and Jess Vogan, Director of Business Operations at Medix. Today, our guest is Scott Lavelle, Managing Partner of Healthcare Program Advisors, aka HCPA. HCPA is a consulting firm that supports healthcare organizations in selecting, implementing, and optimizing technology solutions. Our topic today is project management gone awry. Any healthcare leader has witnessed projects that have gone exceedingly well and others that, well, didn't. Our goal today is to share tips on how to keep projects on the rails and support your organization's success. We'll be focusing a bit more today on systems projects, but I'm confident the lessons learned go beyond technology and systems. Welcome, Scott. Thank you. I'm very happy to be here. Jess, can you chime in so our listeners get to know your voice as one of our new observers? Yes. Hi, everybody. I'm Jess. It's nice to be part of this. Brian? Hi, Janet. Fully caffeinated, ready to go, happy to be back. So, Scott, to get us started, can you tell us a bit about your career path and HCPA's role in project management? Certainly. Um, so I've been in the healthcare information systems business for a little over 35 years. A good bit of that was in the big six consulting world, where we did a lot of systems project implementation planning and uh, implementation project management. My specialty when I was in the big six was implementation project management and specifically large-scale implementation project management. That's what I did with the big six. In 2002, left the big six to create healthcare program advisors. Our role there has been implementation primarily of electronic medical record solutions, revenue cycle solutions, and other financial applications. We've also spent a good bit of our time helping clients that were having trouble with their implementation, step in and fix those, whether that was during the project where they were, they were struggling or whether that was post-project, they were struggling in a post-live way where we had to come in and help them recover from that implementation. So that's a segue, Scott, into the meat of our topic for today. So when I say to you, the topic is project management gone awry. What comes to mind to you? Well, it can take on multiple characteristics, right? It's It could be a project that is in the midst of a delay or maybe even several delays. That happens a fair amount. It can also be a project that's well over budget where they're, they anticipated a certain budget and they're not even done yet and they've gone way over what they thought. Uh, seems to happen more often than we'd like to talk about. And then we have another scenario where projects are not meeting the client's expectations. So when I say the client, I mean the user's expectations. So we're well down the path 
and the users are beginning to figure out that they they bought a car and that they, they thought they were getting a bus. And so that that's a project that has begun to go off the rails, right? And then, of course, in the in the post live world, what we find is project management gone awry can manifest in significant operational or financial trouble for that organization. And so they, it it can be any one of those, um, any one of those areas. Scott. Uh- those are seem to be some of the top reasons that they go awry. Uh, what are the ones that you encounter the most? And um, just to add on to that, are which ones would be like say more recoverable than uh, than others? I assume finances. You can't print money. Uh, just getting into that, you you named a, a wide variety of topics. Uh, what ones when they come into your inbox are you like, okay, we can do this, and others are like, well, oh, no. <laughs> That's a great question, Brian. Um, obviously, I mean, like anything else, the earlier we know that there's a problem, the better off we're going to be because it's easier to recover. When we talk about where projects go off, they they do tend to go back to the beginning when when projects are are in trouble. You can usually trace it back to the start. They they very rarely start going poorly in the middle. It's usually because something at the beginning. Unfortunately, the nature of projects that are going sideways is that you don't typically find out about it early. It's usually not until you get well down the path from the project standpoint that you actually begin to find out about it. What we would love to see is as as projects are getting into that early stages of testing, that they begin to see, wait a minute, something's not quite right here. Um, but it does require that somebody with objective eyes is looking at it and sees that it's in trouble because typically when we see projects that are going off the rails in the testing area, it can trace back to design, right? So you 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 missed something in design or design wasn't approached carefully. And now you're testing, you're figuring out that it's not doing what the operation needs it to do. So it it really it, your the answer to your question is multifactorial because it just depends on the phase. But I guess my my answer would be earlier is much better. Financially, I will tell you, post live is the most difficult time to get a project that has that has struggled because we quite literally are trying to change the the wheels on a moving car because nobody can stop the operation once the system is live. You can't simply just stop the operation and go back. Um, So we've got to deal with the continued operation while we do incremental improvements on the system. And most often we find that the the health system is already losing money uh, because of the, the performance of the system. So we're trying to catch up on that lost uh, financial side at the same time trying to improve the system that was causing the lost financials. So it's it can be very difficult. So I guess my bottom line, the, the threshold would be at least let us let us in to fix it before you go live. <laughs> so and it sounds like testing is important and making sure that your test is testing what you need. The the test itself needs to be catered towards the design or what your end goal is because you might test something and then 
that's not really what your intent was. So that's okay. Interesting. Yeah, that, yeah, I would say, yeah, I think that's a great emphasis, Brian, because the, the, the reality is, is the testing is your last best chance to make sure you got it right. And oftentimes in especially long and protracted systems projects, people are worn out and they begin to rationalize testing when in fact, testing should be the thing that gets the most energy, right? That's, that is where you really want to emulate your operation as closely as you can to a post-live environment and see not just does the system operate, does it function, right? The computer system, but, but also does it function within your environment? Over time, the last decade or so, a lot of vendors and even some consultants have moved away from what we would call full integrated system testing where they're trying to fully emulate their operation workflows and technology and all of that working in uh, you know at scale to ensure that they can say yes this is going to actually operate our our hospital or our physician practice or clinics or or whatever it is and as a consequence of that what we find is is that testing is getting compartmentalized and in some cases decomposed such that when you turn it on Day one is oftentimes the first time that everything has actually functioned together all at one time. And that's integrated test is a very, uh, excuse me, go live is, is a very poor time to do full integrated tests. <laughs> that kind of segues into my question too, Scott. Um, so when, when do you call the question? And is there any examples of like situations where you've had to make those decisive calls such as halting production on the Toyota line or handling those decisions? So um, I think there's two, there's two aspects of the question that you're asking. One is when, and then the second, I think flavor is who, right? Um, right. So if you don't mind, I'll, I'll take the win first because it's actually the easier of the two questions. The, the win, if you've got a good methodology, right? And the methodology is one of the absolute critical aspects of, of any implementation project. Now, you don't use a methodology for a, um, a project for fully MR that's, that's going across 10 hospital system as you would for a, a dietary system in a, in a 200 bed hospital, right? There's, you know, you don't, you don't want to, you know, you just don't want to overkill it. You want to use the right methodology for the right time, but the larger projects in particular methodology is incredibly important. And part of that methodology has to be those decision milestones that say, are we actually finished? The, the one thing I would say, if you, if you walk away with one idea from this podcast, it should be, Whenever you start focusing on timelines and start and stop focusing on outcomes, you're paving the path to failure because very rarely does a project meet a timeline and still meet the outcome. It is a rare event. Projects, especially large, complex projects, there are going to be minor delays within the project. A good project leadership team is focused on how do we deal with the minor things and still get to the ultimate outcome we're looking for? I would say over half of the projects that have any scale to them in our industry will see a delay of some kind. It's, it should be expected. 
the folks who begin to stake themselves out with their own governance team, whether that's their board or their executive team, that we will hit this date no matter what, are typically the people who talk themselves into it being okay. And so you've got to have those checkpoint milestones along the way at the end of the, the, even as simple as at the end of the planning phase, do we have this resource properly? Do we have all the users lined up? Do we have our change management mechanisms put together? So do we have all that before we start moving into design and then design, did you actually get it done, right? And build, you really shouldn't start talking about build until you're finished with design, right? So what, and what, did we get it all built before we started testing it? And so many times we don't clear those decision milestones, but we talk ourselves into we're close enough, let's go ahead, right? And so we begin to break the rules. And by breaking the rules, we begin to, to erode away at our ability to execute a successful activation, right? Now, if, it's, if, it, if I dealt with the what, okay, or the when, okay, I could talk about the who. So, um, and when it comes to the who, a lot of this relies on a solid governance structure. Now, when you say governance structure, typically people go straight to, well, we had a steering committee, right? Every project has a steering committee. Well, there's also governance underneath the steering committee, right? There has to be, especially in large complex projects, one group of executives sitting in a boardroom once a month, probably not going to be enough in terms of governance. But I would say to you that it really needs to be the operators, not the IT people that are relied upon to pull the cord, right? Because the reality is, is that the operators are the ones that are going to have to deal with the outcome, right? So they need to be smart enough and involved enough in the process to know something's not going quite right. And we really need to look at this. And they've got to be empowered to do so. And they've got to be able to say to the CEO or whoever needs to hear it, hey, we need to take a breather. Let's, let's step back and make sure we're exactly where we intended to be. I, um, I'll say this and the CIOs that are listening might bristle at it, but I don't think CIOs are good project sponsors. No offense, Janet. Um, they're not good project sponsors. And a lot of the reason is, is that the CIOs have competing uh, incentives, right? They're, they're incented for that project to go on time. Now they want it to be successful, at least the good CIOs do, want it to be successful but because they're not the ones that have to run that revenue cycle function or run that, that clinical function, they oftentimes don't see the impact of some of the things that are going on. So if you're setting up governance properly, you've got your operators situated in such a way that they have the ultimate, um, the ultimate ability to pull that cord and say, I don't think we're ready to go to the next stage or even worse this thing seems to be off the rails. We need somebody to come in and take a look at it to ensure that we're doing the right things here. And if it is off the rails, can help us understand what it takes it to get all wheel, all the wheels back on the rails. So I'll just say in different roles for literally decades, <laughs> I've uh, intersected with IS teams and I consider one of the most important things I can do is making it safe for someone to show up in my door with what I call the look on their face. I mean, 
I, I have gotten to the point where the project manager doesn't even need to tell me they do, but doesn't even need to open the mouth. And I know that look that says, we're going to have a delay and I need to explain it to you. But it needs to be safe for people to come to whatever leader it is and and say that. And so the creating that safety to to raise the concerns so everyone can problem solve together is critical to either getting a project back on track or keeping a project from going awry um, because you're just plowing ahead. On behalf of Coffee with the College, we'd like to thank our sponsors. Thanks to our premier sponsors, Epstein UN Architects, HGA, Hush Blackwell, and thank you as well to our preferred sponsors, C.G. Schmidt, Findorf, Paul Render, Nutanix, Plunkett Research Architects, and Quarles and Brady. Scott, I'd like to piggyback on when you said that the subject matter experts or the, or the frontline people, the operators are the ones that should pull the trigger. I've been part of a few projects where um, there is a group of people that are knowledgeable, say for a EHRM, say it's the the EHRM um, or electronic health record company themselves that are coming to implement. And they're, they, they've done this before and they have a project timeline and there's information that they're sharing with, with the future operators of it, but they're say holding back some because they don't wanna overload you with information. But then the operators, say find out later that oh that would have been great to know this earlier but they were protecting you from yourself to be overloaded how do you how does a leader balance that and and um yeah how do you just balance that that optics and and keeping your people engaged and trying not to alienate them that you shouldn't have known that then and or anything like that yeah, that's a that's a great question because there is a little bit of art form there, isn't there? It's um it's knowing when and how to share, but ultimately and eventually, if before we start building the solution, right? So actually laying hands on keyboard to to start configuring the system, the operational unit owners should have a full understanding of how it is that that solution is going to work. Some of the problem with the existing methodologies is in order to get timelines more favorable and by timeline, that's a euphemism for the cost, right? So the, the vendors and in some cases, the large integrators are incented to make the, to take basically shortcuts. They want to do it as fast as possible so that they can do it as economically as possible, thereby um, making it more favorable for whoever's buying their services to buy their services. And so they've changed their methodologies such that they feed you what they want you to see. And then they said, we'll go build this. The problem with that, of course, is that whoever's doing the building of it doesn't understand holistically how it's going to work. And so it, it's really critical. And I'll call it the design phase. People, Different people may call it different things, but I'm old school. I call it the design phase. During that design phase, there should be a full understanding of, you know, say it's the um, the oncology division, the oncology division operators, including the people they've charged with building that solution, should have a full understanding of how it's all going to fit together, both system and workflow, before you move on 
from the design phase and move full on into the build phase. Because that if the, if they don't, then you're quite literally parsing it up for them and they're doing exactly what you've told them. The problem with that, if you're an integrator, a systems integrator, the problem with that is, is that they then be, they then own the integration, right? They then have full accountability for that integration. The way we grew up when I was growing up in this business was it was a shared responsibility. We wanted all three parties, the, the software vendor, the, the health system client, and the integrator to all have that full understanding and be working together collaboratively to move it forward. That still is the optimal way to approach it so that, that you don't have those, well, I had no idea that that worked that way. Right. That's, that's, that's always going to get you into a hole. Right. Did I answer yeah, your question? Thinking, Brian? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I was thinking about that because it's like, how do they know the pull the plug if they don't know all the information yet? So it's kind of like, Oh, maybe whatever, whatever issue I'm thinking of that might be solved later because they said, I don't know everything yet. So that's where your project, it, your project keeps going into maybe a bad place when you could have come back to the beginning and, and saw that in design. So it's all coming full circle. Yeah. Right. And that's where methodology can be your best friend or your worst enemy, right? If, you're, if your methodology deals with that holistic understanding, then you've, you've kind of bringing everybody along the way. If you are parsing it and, and there are very few people who see the whole thing, then you're not giving them the opportunity to say, I'm not sure that this is going to work like you think it's going to work. So it does advantage you early on in the project to have those folks fully educated as to how it works. So spend the time, right, to make sure that they understand how it's going to work once you've got it built. Brian, I thought you were maybe going another direction with your question. So I'm going to just chime in with this from my experience because it the tightrope, that your implementation partner's on is this. Um, the um, operators may want the system to replicate their current state and not optimize the functionality of the system, which is kind of the flip side of what you're describing. And it can really be create a lot of dysfunction, right? Because the implementer will cater to what's being asked to the detriment of the organization potentially getting the return on investment it wanted out of the system in terms of workflows. So it's a delicate balance. You have to make sure that from a change management perspective, you've really kicked off the project in a way that the operators know this isn't just about automating our current state. And um, that's an important discussion to have too. Right, which gets a little bit into original expectation management, right? And what are the realistic expectations? One of one of the those early on ways that things go south, um, you just don't know it yet, is is that you've got operators over here expecting one thing. And and the reality is as they get into it, they realize that's not what they're getting. And if the if management's intent was a fully re-engineered operation around that solution, they need to be on board with that, right? The operators need to, and I'm not saying they need to subscribe to it and buy into it. Oh, that would be nice. I mean, that's ideal. 
But even if it's going to be, quote, done to them, they need to be brought along to say, no, we're in we're re-engineering the operation around this new technology. And here's what that means. And oh, by the way, there's still somewhere along the line, somewhere along the line where the operational owners, and I'm not talking about the the nothing against the frontline workers, but um, I mean, they need to know eventually as well, but somewhere along the line, management that owns those operational units needs to know how it's going to work in the future state and need the opportunity to say, well, wait a minute, have you thought about this? And and if if that's a change management issue, Janet, to your point, then you've got to have a process by where, by where you deal with that issue. You can't just simply say, well, that's just you just don't understand yet, right? Got that that kind of approach from a project leadership standpoint is is a recipe for failure. Good, Janet. Do you have something else? Yeah, I did. So just taking us back up to fifty thousand feet, um, we've kind of nibbled around the edges of some of the reasons maybe why projects go awry, um, and I just want to kind of bring us back to. When we had our prep call, uh, Scott, for today, we talked a little bit about charter, the actual composition of the team, the governance, the plans, the testing, even the skill set of the project managers themselves. Right. So there are a lot of levers that can go well or can go poorly. So without divulging um, secrets or confidences, uh, can you give us an example or two that might um, illustrate some of the things that all of us as leaders should watch for? Absolutely. Um, so a, a couple come to mind, and I, I won't divulge names, um, mostly because I, I don't want to get sued. <laughs> so they probably wouldn't appreciate it. Um, but yeah, a couple come to mind. One is major medical center doing a large scale electronic medical record revenue cycle system replacement and going back to solid project management. So the right methodology, appropriately chartered, appropriately resourced, and then managed with discipline throughout the project. This particular situation, um, we got involved in the in the post live. This is one where, where we went in the post live to help them with some recovery. And what we found was, is that this client had been well into testing. And at that time, they were still doing design work. So there were still components of that solution that were being designed as testing was being proclaimed to be complete. And so that's a clear situation that almost checks every one of our boxes, right? It was, it was sort of not well managed. It was a situation where the methodologies were not being followed. So the rules were not being followed in terms of what should be done and when. And almost any one of the participants in that project could see that what they were doing was violating the rules of testing and that they were way too close to their go live to be making these kinds of changes. In fact, they were already training their people and there were still design decisions being made on how the system was gonna function. So it's no surprise that when you turn that system on, that it was it had a high likelihood of failing, right? 
Um, again, it's not that the hardware shut down and the system stopped operating. It's that it didn't do what they needed it to do, run their operation. And so it was, it was, it was, and it, it's a great example, Janet, of almost every one of the things that we talked about, right? Similar situation, another hospital system that's doing an ERP implementation, um, pretty large scale. It's a sizable health system, multi-hospital system. They are on their fourth delay of this implementation. It's now several years into the implementation. What's interesting about that is, is that the software has been live in other places. This isn't new software. So this is a project characteristic. This has something to do with this client. Now, I'll tell you that the primary thing it has to do with, back to your point, Janet, expectation management and change management, they had a lot of legacy processes and a lot of folks that were trying to force in legacy process into the new environment instead of addressing the system implementation and workflows to re-engineer that operation. And so a lot of what they've run into is trying to rectify that or in some cases reconcile it such that they can actually bring it live and they keep having to push the reset button. Did I answer your question, Janet? Yep. And I think uh, we also talked about one other example, which is a, a lesson learned and it relates to um, listening to someone stopping the production line as it relates to training of teams and um, adoption. So would you share that story too, Scott? Absolutely will. Um, so we we had a, a client experience where the training methodology that was being proposed was to train to the system and not to train to workflow. And the technology vendor was was proposing this this training methodology. And we had a a member of our team, a relatively senior member of our team, who not not my team, but the client's team, who raised their hand and said, well, wait a minute, we should really be training workflow in addition to the technology. So which buttons to push, which you know, switches to flip. We should also be teaching them how to do their job because their job has fundamentally changed because of this new system. In effect, somebody who was purported to be an expert it said, no, that's not what we're doing. We're, we're going to teach it to the, tr to, the, to the technology and they'll work, work out the workflow as they will. Turns out that 60 days, 90 days after the go live, they were still struggling mightily and, and were, it was having a pretty substantial financial impact on them to not have listened to this one person who said, hey, wait a minute, um, it, this doesn't seem like we're doing this right. It got glossed over. They listened to the to the expert, the supposed expert, and off we went. And the next thing you knew, um, we were in sort of operational chaos as a result of not having trained to that workflow. So that the person who raised their hand, of course, afterwards was a little bit in, you know, they, they didn't say this out loud, but they pretty much were in an I told you so moment <laughs> because, because they did have the opportunity um, to head that off at the pass. And it was minimized. And then ultimately, it, it had an extraordinary impact on their clinical community. Thank you, Scott, for sharing all of those examples and, and insights. And I have a burning question that when a project has gone awry, 
what measures or actions have you found effective in getting it back on track? So it's kind of a loaded question, Jess. Um, the, the one thing I would say is, and, and this is the hardest thing to do, I think, for any management team, is you got to stop the train, right? You, you've got to take a moment. And I think a lot of times the temptation is to, well, let's keep this thing going. Let's, let's don't, you know, let's don't lose time. We've got time is money and we got to keep going. If, if a project has risen to the level of, of you guys, the executives saying, Hey, we really need to take a look at this. Something is wrong. Then it's worth taking a little bit of time to say, okay, what exactly is wrong? And then how do we, how do we, how do we fix it? So it's very difficult to keep, fix it and keep it running at the same time. So you got to take a moment. It doesn't mean you have to take months, but you do have to take at least a moment. And that means everybody sitting down and saying, okay, take a deep breath, and then let's figure out what it is. You got to refocus. You got to replan. And you do have to recognize that the, the manifestation you see today and the problem that may have caused the cord to get pulled may not be what actually was the problem. This may actually go back go back to a root cause that's that's well back into the design phase or even in some cases the planning phase. We may have scoped this thing completely wrong. Um, I I often find it, it's funny to me. Um, oftentimes we hear the word scope creep. So if you look at at some of the published materials around projects and project management, what's one of the biggest problems? Scope creep, right? Scope creep. Well, we left the scope creep. Scope creep is a manifestation of having messed up the beginning. Scope creep doesn't, people don't just run around looking to creep the scope, right? There's, there's a reason that that happens. And it's usually because we misscoped it in the beginning. And so that's one example, but there are many more um, where when you're stopping, you got to really go back. Can we, or should we address the root cause problem? Or do we, do we, are we okay with just dealing with the symptom of the problem and then moving forward from there? And that's, that's critically important. Um, and then the other thing, and this is going to sound almost trite, but the reality is um, we got to be honest with ourselves, right? Why are we here? How did we get here? What is it going to take to fix it? It's very difficult, very difficult to fix the problem and still have the same people processes in technology, right? Something, something has got to change. You got here for a reason. Something has to change. And that means that we're gonna to have to be honest with ourselves and make that change if we're gonna be successful. Well, Brian, Jess, Scott, thank you all so much for a fascinating conversation on project management gone awry. I have to say that I hope our listeners have taken some nuggets from this. We tried not to make this a tutorial on project management, but rather a wide ranging discussion that would give you some ideas about what to kind of watch for in your own organizations and what questions to have the courage to ask. So I wanted to just highlight a few things that Scott said that I think are some of those nuggets. Um, Scott, you were very explicit that if there was one thing we take away from this podcast, it is whenever you focus on timeline rather than outcomes, you're paving a path to failure. So that's kind of our motto for this particular podcast, I think. Um, I think we also emphasized, and those of us in leadership need to be watchful of this, of whether operators are being infused enough in the project 
to be able to meaningfully pull the cord, say, let, let's pause here um, because they're the ones that will need to deal with the outcome. So in whatever way, shape, or form, we create governance, we create communication, we create awareness, we hold sidebar meetings. We've got to make sure the operators know the implications of decisions being made so that they can chime in effectively. Respect testing is another thing that came through loud and clear. Um, I'll say it again, respect testing. Uh, And so make sure that uh, if you as a leader are not understanding what testing means to the success, make sure you're asking those questions. Train to workflow, not technology. Again, another nugget to be mindful of and watch um, when you're seeing plans come together for these kinds of projects in your organization. And then the final thing I'd highlight is something we talk about a lot in our podcasts on almost every topic, and that is the need for courageous leadership and courage in leadership. Um, That when something is going amiss, uh, to have the courage to to raise your hand and and say let's pause, and and make it safe to have a discussion and and get back on track. So with that, um, again, Scott, thank you for making time um, to be with us and our listeners today. And Brian and Jess, thanks for being great observers and listeners. Um, thank you for listening to our podcast, and we look forward to you joining us next time. This podcast is copyrighted material of the American College of Healthcare Executives, Wisconsin Chapter 2023.